One problem facing people at many levels of business is how to make time for a work life and a personal life. Do you find that one seems to keep getting in the way of the other? This is the Work-Life Balance with Rick Morris. Even if you're not involved in the business world, you'll have a lot to gain by tuning in to today's show. Now, here is your host, Rick Morris. And welcome to another Friday edition of the Work-Life Balance. We're so excited to have everybody along with us today. Uh, as we are going to be welcoming into the show one of our great friends. Uh, we've actually been friends uh, almost nine or ten years now, uh, which is weird that somebody would actually keep a relationship with me for that long. But uh, So this gentleman's worked in project management for over 30 years at the CIA, where he's led the development of highly complex, top-secret projects, programs, and systems, and where he led the development of their project management and systems engineering training and certification program to mature practices agency-wide. As founder of Zozer Inc., he has developed and implemented the new government-wide federal acquisition certification for program and project managers through his consulting. He's also helping organizations raise their level of project management performance. He's recently served as the chair of the PMI, or Project Management Institute Ethics Member Advisory Group, and he's a sought-after speaker and has been featured in PMI Today, PM Network, CIO Magazine, Information Week, Government Exe uh, Executive Magazine, and ProjectManagement.com. He writes and speaks extensively about project management, and since his climb of another of the world's seven summits, he's been exploring the relationship between project management and mountain climbing. So let's welcome the real-life Q, Michael Brockton, to the show. How you doing, Mike? Well, thanks, Rick. I'm happy to be here. Uh, appreciate the uh, introduction. Uh, since I... Uh, Volunteered on the PMI Ethics Mag, I can assure you everything uh, you just read is true. <laughs> and it has to be. We actually, uh, you know, I want to introduce you uh, as a side note, uh, because of your climbing the summits and stuff, uh, we had a, a, a good friend of ours, Marie Conchikow, who who's also done that. Uh, she's incredible. She's gone to the North Pole, South Pole, all raising money for uh, underprivileged youth uh, for their education. Uh, but yeah, this lady's a powerhouse. Uh, I can't imagine. She swam the English Channel uh, and didn't know how to swim. So uh, you know, when you're when you're dealing with people like that, and I see what you're doing with the mountain climbing. I I look up to that because I think I would make it about thirty feet and go, yeah, there's got to be a car or something. Yeah, but a lot of people climb mountains uh, in their own way. It may not be uh, physical, and it may not be at altitude. But uh, uh, someday we should talk about the intersection of of mountain climbing and project management. I'm sure you'll find some familiar ground. Absolutely. But what we're here to talk about today is the release of the new book, right? So how to get executives to act for project success. That's where it looks like right there backwards. If you happen to be watching us on Facebook Live or via the Zoom conference call, you can join us right now uh, if you'd like and, and be able to comment, interact with the show. So, you know, Michael, what really brought you to this book? I'll tell you, I've been... Uh, fascinated with uh, project success for just years and years. And in fact, uh, as I reflect back, I, I think it's the only subject I've ever written about, uh, uh, spoken about, or even consulted about. It's something to do with project success. And it turns out this particular topic, how to get executives to act for project, it's the most popular one I've ever written or spoken about. I've been investing my energy, I don't know, I'd say for about 10 years, so maybe about the same time I've known you, Rick. Uh, I've invested my energy in this topic. Audiences love it. Uh, my clients love it. So what the heck? Let's write a book. 
And I think it's, you know, we speak often on the show here. And, and in fact, I just did a big uh, a blog post a couple of days ago. I was, I was fired up uh, reading a couple of articles. One of them uh, was about the uh, a failure of a major system in Toronto. But the headline reads, you know, massive project management failure. But as you read the article, it's there, there was no scope. There was no oversight. There was all kinds of changes. And it even said in there that everyone was warned to move the implementation date, yet nobody did. And, and they're saying massive failure of project management. And we see story after story after story about this. And really, it's not project management that's failing so much. So would you agree with that? I would agree, Rick. In fact, um, my opinions that I express in the book and on today's show are backed up by a lot of research. I'll just, I'll just briefly mention one of the more recent uh, sources of research on the subject. And for your listeners that happen to be members of the Project Management Institute, uh, uh, thank you. Your membership dollars uh, paid for this research that I'm about to uh, reference. Uh, and that research includes uh, some studies under the PMI Pulse of the Profession label, Rick. And, and those studies revealed, quote, unquote, I'm, I'm reading now uh, from the research, uh, actively engaged executives continue to be the top driver of whether projects meet the original goals and business intent, close quote. Uh, so it's at the top of the list of what's behind our project successes and failures, Rick. And uh, it turns out that we're having more failures than we are successes. And uh, that's a lot of the reason why. And so when we look at that kind of research, people read that, you, you can show that to executives yet. Uh, you know, I've got a, a theory that we've been running with for a long time called the myth of the mandated date. And so this very article was talking about how the date was set and then everything was moving towards that date, um, including executives not wanting to lose face by pushing out the date. Instead, we just lose face by, by seeing that complete failure. Um, so the, these, in, these engaged executives, Right. To me, I, I hear a lot of vision, but then the organizational culture will just crush that vision. Right. They, they just will absolutely kill the vision that, that you're trying to do within the project. So what kind of advice do you have in in helping, you know, get those executives to really start to, to move projects forward? Well, let's let's unpack that for a minute, Rick, before I get to the so-called advice uh, portion of the question. Let me just unpack that. You you've described a scenario which which unfortunately is typical, right? You've described a scenario that, that research shows three quarters of project managers are confronting on a regular basis. And, and the scenario uh, you're describing, the, the scenario I want to unpack just for a minute, is, is the scenario where project managers have come to the understanding that they can't succeed alone anymore. It, it's not a solo activity. And uh, they're coming to the understanding that they're not going to succeed without, without some help. And uh, we're generally referring to the class of people that, that can help them as executives. Uh, if, if you'll allow me, I'll explore that a little bit further. How's that sound? Yeah, I do, because I, I'm, I'm going to take a little exception with that statement, right? Because if three quarters of the project managers are confronting, I agree with that. I'm, I'm on board with that. But the, the statement of project managers can't do it alone, I, I don't think I've ever done it alone, right? It's always through sponsor engagement that you're successful. And I think, so 
if I unpack what you just said, are we saying then only 25% of project managers know that the relationship with the stakeholder is the most paramount thing to project success? No, we're saying 24% know it and are getting it, are getting that kind of relationship. Gotcha. Other three quarters, not so much. Now, I, I want to go back to your uh, comment about, uh, well, we've always known that uh, you can't do it alone. Uh, au contraire, Rick, uh, project management history predates you and predates me. Uh, allow me to give you and your listeners just a brief history lesson. All right. Bring it. I want to put your comment in context because it, it doesn't stand up on its own without a little context. All right. So, so let's look at the beginning of project management. And, and I mean the beginning of modern project management. And Rick, I'm going to call that the 1960s. And okay. that was when projects succeeded or failed almost entirely on whether they worked or not. If you're at NASA, it meant the rocket launched. That was the definition of success, one-dimensional. If you're in the IT business, uh, same one-dimensional uh, criteria for success, uh, the darn system worked, right? Well, time moved on, Rick, and... Uh, those simple one-dimensional definitions, uh, which many of us could meet by ourselves. It didn't take a whole big team of people to meet some of those one-dimensional, did it work or not definitions. I mean, at the CIA, if I was building audio bugs, right? right these were simple, did it work or not projects. And we're, and we're not saying that you actually did do audio bugs, but just imagine if you did. Yeah, well, right? uh, there was an if statement there. <laughs> But, but time did move on, and I call those the 70s, right? and that definition expanded. It, it now included cost. It now included schedule, and, of course, it still had to work. Well, well that's three times as hard, Rick. When do we call that? The triple constraint. And by the way, uh, audience, who do we blame for the triple constraint? Well, PMI, of course. PMI, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so it's now harder to succeed. It, it, for those simple projects that were one-dimensional, all right, we've got three times more criteria to meet. It's getting harder to succeed on your own. In fact, this is where your statement comes in. We need a bunch of help. It started happening during the 70s. In the 80s, it got worse. And I suspect there are a number of people in your audience in the IT side of the business. And, and Rick, I know you are too. And uh, this... This expansion of the definition again in the 80s, uh, we blame the IT industry for that. So thank you very much. <laughs> and, and that expansion now includes pleasing the customer, right? Customer has to be happy, right? You in the IT business, and by the way, I, I spent a bit of time at the CIA uh, running IT departments. So, so me in the IT business too, we kind of mess things up. We, we, we didn't please as many customers as often as we needed to, and the industry adjusted to consider customer satisfaction as one of the now four criteria. Thanks a lot, everybody. And uh, today, it's expanded again. We now have to add business value with our projects. Well, Rick, I don't know about you, or I don't know about your listeners, but if you're like me, and by the way, I know I am, you, you cannot succeed in delivering business value without a whole team of actors helping you out. And Rick, I'm calling those executives. 
Gotcha. And there's one more actually now as well, which is you have to consider team satisfaction. You do. Now, thankfully, thankfully, some of the standards that are in place in our industry have been catching up to this expanded definition of success. Uh, if you look worldwide, there are approximately 40 official project management standards and certifications around the world. Uh, uh, we have uh, you know, a decent one from the Project Management Institute, to be sure, but it's uh, only one of about 40. But if you, look at, if you look at those standards around the world, most of them now are catching up with this expanded definition. And you know how they're doing it? They're piling more on the backs of the project managers. Of course. Thank you very much for that one. So, so uh, we've got about a minute to break out. I'm going to take us to break, but I'll, I'll leave you with one of my favorite statements I do from stage, which is we were told, right? So I'm, I, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm one of the modern project managers. I've, I was brought up, uh, started the industry really in 94, right? So we're, we were past all the, the customer get back of IT of the 80s, all that kind of stuff. And we were into what we were supposed to be calling partnership, right? If you look at the 90s to 2000, that was supposed to be partnership. In 2000, we lost trust. But, but in any case, I, I was told the greatest lie ever told, which is that you own the project, right? But I sit there and go, what do I own? Those, those aren't my resources. I can't write a check. There's no way, right? And I can't do anything to scope. So what, am I, what do I really own if I believe the lie, which is I'm only there to be blamed for when the project goes wrong? And it, it, if you understand that, right, you understand that you can model all of your conversations and behavior back to the executives as you should. Perfectly said. And by the way, there's a, a term that we use in my side of the industry to describe what you've said, and that's whining. There's, there's a lot of opportunities for whining under these circumstances. <laughs> well, as you can see, we're going to have a phenomenal time on this show. We're going to have more with Michael O'Brocta right after we take this break. You're listening to Rick Morris on the Work-Life Balance. Are you frustrated with the overall productivity of your project management processes? Do you lack consistency in project delivery? R-Squared Consulting provides end-to-end -end services to assist companies of all sizes in realizing and improving the value of project management. Whether you want to build a project management office, train project managers, or learn how to bring the oversight and governance to your project processes, R-Squared has tailored best practices to help you in all areas of project management. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com. In today's hyper-fast, super-competitive business world, on time is now too late. On budget is now too expensive. And today's innovation is tomorrow's antique, which means app releases that used to happen regularly now need to happen continuously, while always delivering experiences that keep your customers coming back for more. In other words, you need to be agile. And there's no better way to get there than with agile management from CA Technologies a complete set of solutions and services that make agility a reality. So you can anticipate and rapidly respond to change and immediately incorporate customer feedback, build a flexible bridge between ideas and execution, and transform app delivery from an endpoint into an always-on part of your development lifecycle while ensuring an exceptional service experience. So be the one who wins. App after app, day after day, with Agile Management. From CA. Are you getting the most out of your project management software? 
In many cases, it is not the software that is failing, but the implementation, limitations, or processes surrounding the use of that software. R-Squared can analyze your current use and help improve your return on investment. R-Squared can also suggest the best software for your organization and goals and assist in the selection, implementation, and training. Allow R-Squared to ensure that you are getting the value of your investment. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com today. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to the Work-Life Balance. To reach Rick Morris or his guest today, we'd love to have you call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, Rick can be reached at rmorris at rsquaredconsulting.com. Now back to the Work-Life Balance. And we are back to the Work-Life Balance with the Real Life Q, Michael O'Bracta. He's the author of How to Get Executives to Act for Project Success, Building a Strong Mutual Partnership. That's his latest book. And we were just going through history and all that stuff uh, about how project management evolved. So what is a project manager to do, right? How do, you, how do you really come at this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's recognize first that uh, this is a, a change of condition. In other words, uh, somebody moved the cheese for the project managers, right? And uh, if we can recognize that first, uh, then we can be motivated to do something about it. And the, the thing I advocate for project managers to do first uh, when they recognize that there's a need is take ownership of the issue. Uh, I jokingly use the word whining before the break. And uh, that's not the audience I'm addressing, Rick. Uh, I'm not addressing the whiners. I'm addressing the project management audience that recognizes that it's their responsibility if they want to shift the dynamic and actually get their executives to do whatever it is that's necessary uh, for project success. So, so the audience I'm writing to and speaking to are the audience that actually want to take some initiative on their own, uh, not to be victims. So step one, don't be a victim. Step up and take some initiative. And uh, when you think about initiative, uh, of course, you're taking it for yourself. I mean, you want your project success rate to go up. Of course you do, because you realize your career depends on it, right? Uh, a few more failures and your career goes south. A few more successes in your career takes off. So, so absolutely act out of self-interest. Great. But the other initiative I want you to realize that you want to take is for the greater good of your organization, or, or at least the piece of the organization you work in. You, you really care about that piece, right? You, you'd really like all the projects to do better in that piece of the organization. So, so take ownership of that too, right? Broaden your scope of, of viewpoint. Look at your organization or your piece. Uh, look at your project, of course. And now draw from your existing skill set. This is not your first dance. This is not your first project, right? Draw from your existing skill set and start listing out the things you wished your executive would do. Come on now, you've been paying attention. In fact, you might have been frustrated from time to time about things that didn't get done. 
now's the time to sit back and reflect. I find, I've talked to thousands of project managers about this, uh, many thousands actually, and uh, I find the majority of them, if they take the time, they're gonna find a few items, a few actions that they'd love to get their executives to take. Right? So first, own the problem. Next, let's reflect on the actions that you already know or can easily determine that you want your executive to take. So I read another article this week and it was called the, the Blair Witch Project Manager and, and it was in the same post that had fired me up and I sent out to all my listeners. Um, and in that one, you know, he's talking about why he, he doesn't hate all project managers, but he hates most project managers. And he goes on to this diatribe and he ends it with saying, you know, quite frankly, I can get e any Eagle Scout to come in and fill out some charts and be more effective than a project manager. I'm paraphrasing. Um, I could teach, basically, I can teach a monkey how to dance. And I was, I mean, I was fired up reading this thing. I've, in fact, invited him to the show so we can debate that topic. But what, having said all of that, what I see in the industry more than anything is, is project managers going to get technical certifications, but do they really um, have the opportunity to practice what they call their, their soft skills? And so what would you say is the number one soft skill to, uh, to formulate for a project manager? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm all for soft skills. In fact, uh, I've done an about face on this. When I was young and arrogant, which we'll say was a, a while ago, at least the young part. Uh, when I was young and arrogant, uh, I didn't think soft skills were worth spending time on. You know, I'm an engineer at the CIA. What do I need soft skills for, right? Well, I've done a complete 180 on that. Uh, these, uh, these successes we're talking about having these days, these, these successes that include business value, these successes that are gonna require some executive help Boy, they're not going to happen without the soft skills, right? So, 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 so when I talk to project managers and share the research with them on this subject, the, 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 the first thing project managers raise their hand and say they wished would happen, the, the, the very first thing is they wish they could learn how to talk to executives. Well, that's a soft skill if there ever was one. And, and oh, by the way, when, when you interview executives, and when you read the research on what executives wish for, all right, right, it, it turns out that they're wishing for almost the same thing. They're, they're wishing for a dialogue with project managers, and uh, we're, not, uh, we're not meeting. All right? So that's the soft skill that's going to get us down the path. The, the, the PM recognizes they own the, uh, the, the territory here. They're, they're going to take initiative, all right? And, and they're going to act for themselves and the greater good of their organization. And they're going to start using a few soft skills with their executives. Start a little communication. Now, that's easier said than done. And, and there are a lot of things that we need to communicate about with our executives. Uh, uh, but that's the starting point. Yeah, I say that normally what we're looking for, and I think the number one skill or, or focus to really, like once you really start to mature as a project manager is how to grow and exert your influence. And uh, the executives that we're talking about, Rick, are pretty busy. In fact, when you read the research on them, they're super overworked 
And surprisingly, uh, they don't have as much control over their own resources as we might think. Right? So uh, it benefits us as project managers when we're about to approach an executive and ask them to do something to help our project succeed. Right? It benefits us as project managers to consider their plight before we make the ask. Uh, this is a, uh, for many, a Mars and Venus uh, situation. Uh, we don't speak the same language. Uh, there's no reason we should be speaking the same language. Nothing's forced us to until now. So, so what I'm looking for project managers to do is when they start thinking about communicating with their executives, start communicating in the language that the executives get. Would, would you like a little quick CIA story on that one? Absolutely. we got about three minutes to break. You can get right. it in three minutes. I do a three-minute story. There you go. I was mid-career at the CIA, and I got called into an executive's office. This gentleman was uh, about three or four levels above where I was at the time. And unfortunately for me, this is not the first time I've been called into his office. So I knew the way it was going to go. Oh, Brockta, I want to tell you how you've screwed up again. Well, the screw-up he wanted to tell me about was my request for a large sum of money for an important project. And my justification, Rick, and I'm not making this up as an engineer, my justification was I needed this large sum of money so I could increase antenna gain by 6 dB. Well, the exec name, ex executive's name was Pat, uh, no last name, by the way, and uh, <laughs> said to me, oh, Brockta, don't ever come here again and talk to me like that. Go away, which I did. Well, of course, the problem was 6 dB was meaningless. That was engineering jargon. I was not communicating on his level. So I did go back. I did say, look, I know we're struggling with some of our agent operations in the tracking and locating business. I know we put a lot of lives at risk to track the whereabouts of agents overseas. This is before GPS. Right? So if you give me this amount of money, I will increase the antenna gains and, here's the business case, reduce the number of agents in the field for tracking and locating operations by 50%. I walked out of there with all the money I needed. There you go. Welcome to communicating with executives. Yep, you I actually know what I needed but I didn't communicate it effectively the first time around. And I see that so often. Uh, one of the things that we bring up all the time is, is when project managers come in and announce that the project is running late, right? So they come in and they go, we're going to be late. And I'm waiting for, and here's four options as to what we can do about it, right? right. Here's the new date. Here's what we can, but, but so many of them just stop with, ah, oh, the project's in trouble. All right. Let me know where you are with that. Tell me what's next. What's, where's the next level thinking that you're coming from? And that's where they mismatch with their executives all the time. All right. So we're going to take our final break or not final break where we've got our second break. We've got two more segments with Michael Obrachta. He'll be with us as soon as we come back from commercial. You're listening to the work-life balance with Rick Morris. Are you frustrated with the overall productivity of your project management processes? Do you lack consistency in project delivery? 
R Squared Consulting provides end-to-end services to assist companies of all sizes in realizing and improving the value of project management. Whether you want to build a project management office, train project managers, or learn how to bring the oversight and governance to your project processes, R Squared has tailored best practices to help you in all areas of project management. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com. Winning in the application economy means executing a business strategy that gets the hottest products and apps out the door and into market faster than ever before. But what happens when hot is suddenly not? Can you instantly pivot and prioritize your plans and investment portfolio to react to the new reality and make sure your strategy is right on target? You will with CA Project and Portfolio Management, the proven solution that enables agile, effective decision-making across your entire investment portfolio. Unlike other tools, CAPPM is designed to work the way you do. Doers are empowered, planners are enabled, helpers are elevated, and customers are engaged. All while you maximize performance and portfolio value. It's little wonder that CAPPM is the industry leader with more than 2 million happy users worldwide, not to mention world-class consulting and implementation partners. So why not give CA Project and Portfolio Management a closer look and make everything you've got put you out in front? Are you getting the most out of your project management software? In many cases, it is not the software that is failing, but the implementation, limitations, or processes surrounding the use of that software. R-Squared can analyze your current use and help improve your return on investment. R-Squared can also suggest the best software for your organization and goals and assist in the selection, implementation, and training. Allow R-Squared to ensure that you are getting the value of your investment. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com today. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to the Work-Life Balance. To reach Rick Morris or his guest today, we'd love to have you call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, Rick can be reached at rmorris at rsquaredconsulting.com. Now, back to the Work-Life Balance. All right, and we're back for our third segment of the Work-Life Balance uh, this week. We're with Michael O'Brocta. He's the author of How to Get Executives to Act for Project Success. And, Michael, before we went to break, we were talking about actions that project managers need to take with their executives. So, Do you have any more that you want to share with the audience? Yeah, let me just cherry pick another. Uh, As I mentioned earlier, when you you get some semi-experienced or or very experienced project managers in a room, which I've done, uh, it's easy for them to list out the actions they'd love their executives to take. You know, give them a a wish list and then come up with 12 or 20 actions. Uh, Dear executive, uh, please take the actions from this list. Uh, If you do, uh, our projects will be more successful and the world will be a better place, right? And uh, so, so one of the actions I'll just mention, you know, once we've learned to communicate with our executive, one of the actions I'll just mention is, uh, hey, dear executive, uh, I'm a pretty good project manager. Why don't we organize and manage our work around here as projects, right? Why, why don't we become a project-based organization? Now, now I understand, executive, 
that not all the work in our organization is project-based. That, that's great. We, we got some really important operational stuff. We got some important production stuff. But you know what? For the stuff that I'm talking about, why don't we sort of manage that as projects? And, and, and that's an easy thing to do if, if you actually assign a project manager and give him or her resources. If you actually give that project manager some authority to do their job. And so let's talk about that. Let's talk about creating a little space in our outfit where, where project managers can practice their craft. Right? A, a simple ask, but you know what? It unlocks a whole lot of doors if we can do that. So, uh, so dear executive, uh, uh, here's a list of 12 or 20 items. Uh, uh, organizing and managing work as projects is just one of the items on my list. And, and then I would explain, uh, dear executive, you know, if we would do that, uh, we don't have to, but if we would, let me show you the stack of research on what will happen. Customer satisfaction will go up. Employee turnover rate will go down. My gosh, our ability to meet schedules and budgets will increase. We'll have less, you know, so the goodness starts to come out. The, the studies will show, dear executive, you know, if we do that, there's a lot of good things that are going to happen. So why don't we do that? And one of the things that, that we advocate quite a bit, so if you look at the C-level, right, so you have a CEO that is focused on the operations and, and really forward-facing, right? You have a CIO because IT is such a large spend. You have a CFO because you got to have somebody looking at the financials. And we're, you know, really pushing for the day that, that, that it's, it's common practice to have a CPO because so much of your budget is devoted to projects that there needs to be somebody on that council that knows how to do both, right? Knows how to speak to the team, but then turn around and, and, and be able to explain that to the three levels in an appropriate way. You know, I lay awake at night dreaming about that too. Uh, this is a good opportunity for me to define, to define what I mean by executive, right? If you look at the typical organizational chart, it's, it's a pyramid, right? And, uh, and where's the project manager on that pyramid chart? Well, we're at the bottom. Yep. We have uh, uh, limited authority and limited uh, 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 title, and we're at the bottom. And so at the bottom, when we look up into the pyramid, as far as I'm concerned, anybody in that pyramid that has more power and more authority to me, that's an executive. Right? So, so I'm happy to get anyone to act. If, if you're one of the enlightened outfits that have a CPO, great. That's who I'm going to talk to. But if you're not, I'm still going to talk to a lot of other people that have more authority than I do because they're the ones that can help me get some actions taken around here. Totally agree. We actually convinced an organization to go CPO. And then they went and hired somebody who had no project management experience. Yeah. And, and the answer was, you know, she's really smart. So she, you know, she can pick this up. And I'm like, do you want to be wheeled in for surgery and go, here's the person that we've selected for your heart surgery. Now he's not a heart surgeon per se, but he's really smart Yeah, and he'll pick it up. Yeah. Yeah. We, we haven't, uh, I haven't actually uh, stormed the castle, but I've read some siege management books, you know? So same thing. Yeah, absolutely. Well, back, back to the executive then, you know, dear executive, please take a couple actions. I'll give you the list. Um, the list doesn't speak for itself. The, the intrinsic value of doing things on the list 
But the intrinsic value of project management needs to be explained, right? In the old days, it was a religious discussion. Taken on faith, project management is great, you know? We used to do uh, MBO, uh, management by, by objective, uh, objectives, yeah. right? All right. Uh, now we're doing uh, project management, right? Take it on faith. Well, that doesn't cut it. Right? So, so when we go in, dear executive, let's go through the list of items that, that, that have been quantified for the executive, right? Like I said, customer satisfaction, employee turnover, profitability, all these metrics have been quantified. Now that we've got their attention, and now that they're willing to take a few actions for project success, you know what our next step is? A dose of cold, hard reality. Those poor executives, they can't just act willy-nilly, not to satisfy the whims on our list. Rick, they've got limitations. Right. They don't have full spending authority. My God, they're subject to politics up one side and down the other. Just because it's good for us and good for our project doesn't mean it fits the political situation. And, uh, oh, by the way, they're working in the same dysfunctional organization we're working in, even if they wanted to do a few of those things. They can't. Their organization's not capable. Uh, how, about, uh, how about the organization that just reorganized last week, right? Right? Favorite thing to do in organization. Let's reorganize. Right? So things are in a state of flux. Well, the very last thing I should be doing this week is going into my executive and making a big ask. Are you serious? He hasn't dug out from last week's disaster. So, so change readiness level. Change readiness level is a barrier we as project managers need to be paying attention to. You want another CIA story? Absolutely. Yeah, that's an easy ask. So uh, I'm, I'm about three quarters of the way through my career at the CIA. Uh, I'm now in essentially what could be described as the chief project manager position. Uh, I'm now responsible for the project management throughout the CIA. Now, I can't tell you how many project managers work there, but I can tell you it's thousands, thousands. <laughs> so I do a little study, a little study about project management in the CIA, and the, the study findings are as solid as can be. They show that as good as we are, we could be better. The CIA was an early adopter in project management, early. We're very mature in project management, and yet I can show how we can do better. So I go into the number two person's office at the CIA, number two. You got the director of the CIA, and then you got the number two guy. And I go in, uh, Pete, uh, no last name, and uh, Pete, here's the study. Here's what we can do. Pete goes, Mike, this is phenomenal, phenomenal. I couldn't have asked for more. I agree with everything. We're not going to do it. I go, what? Mike, I'm retiring in a few months. I will not be here to see this through. That message was, Rick, the change readiness level is low. No matter how good the idea was, no matter how good the executive action was, the change readiness level was low. 
So I left. New executive comes in. I go back. I get an audience with the new guy. Same conversation. Mike, fantastic. This is wonderful. I'm so glad you did this. I'm going to proceed. Well, what happened? The new guy came in and wants to make a big first impression. And I just served that up to him on a silver platter. Right. Range readiness level was high. All of our executives work in organizations with different readiness levels for change. You know what? It's our job to figure that out before we make the ask. Absolutely. And, and to me, again, that comes back to influence and understanding the audience. How do we influence the decision that we need, or at least present the data in, in a way uh, that we can do so? At a way and at a right time. Yeah, I totally agree with that. So uh, we're actually going to take this last break a little bit early so that we can have a little bit of time in the last segment. Uh, and we'll visit with Michael O'Brockton on our fourth and final segment of the Work-Life Balance this week. You're listening to Rick Morris. In today's hyper-fast, super-competitive business world, on time is now too late. On budget is now too expensive. And today's innovation is tomorrow's antique, which means app releases that used to happen regularly now need to happen continuously while always delivering experiences that keep your customers coming back for more. In other words, you need to be agile. And there's no better way to get there than with agile management from CA Technologies, a complete set of solutions and services that make agility a reality. So you can anticipate and rapidly respond to change and immediately incorporate customer feedback, build a flexible bridge between ideas and execution, and transform app delivery from an endpoint into an always-on part of your development lifecycle while ensuring an exceptional service experience. So be the one who wins. App after app, day after day, with Agile Management from CA. Winning in the application economy means executing a business strategy that gets the hottest products and apps out the door and into market faster than ever before. But what happens when hot is suddenly not? Can you instantly pivot and prioritize your plans and investment portfolio to react to the new reality and make sure your strategy is right on target? You will with CA Project and Portfolio Management, the proven solution that enables agile, effective decision-making across your entire investment portfolio. Unlike other tools, CA PPM is designed to work the way you do. Doers are empowered, planners are enabled, Helpers are elevated and customers are engaged, all while you maximize performance and portfolio value. It's little wonder that CAPPM is the industry leader with more than 2 million happy users worldwide, not to mention world-class consulting and implementation partners. So why not give CA project and portfolio management a closer look and make everything you've got put you out in front? When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to the Work-Life Balance. To reach Rick Morris or his guest today, we'd love to have you call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. 
Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, Rick can be reached at rmorris at rsquaredconsulting.com. Now, back to the Work-Life Balance. And welcome back to our final segment of the Work-Life Balance today. We're talking with Michael O'Brockton. Michael, so we've been talking about all the issues and actions and that kind of stuff. What steps can project managers take to, to combat this? And the good news is there's several steps. And I, I introduced this subject by saying that uh, this was for project managers that wanted to act not only for their own benefit, for the, but for the benefit of the part of the organization they work in. And uh, you commented about uh, how at the core, uh, this is a, an influence issue, a communication and influence issue. And the most effective project managers, the ones who can communicate the most effectively and, and speak in business terms, and the ones who can influence the most effectively, Rick, the step they need to take is to understand how to build and use power. Power. Now, admittedly, we're at the bottom of the pyramid. I got that. So we don't have a lot of positional authority, right? My name badge that says project manager doesn't get me so far. But there are a couple sources of power we do have. And oh, by the way, unless you're consciously developing those sources of power, you're losing them. There's no steady state. Either a project manager is building their sources of power and authority, or they're losing them. Now, I'll reference the most important and likely source of power that a project manager can build and can use. Think back to the 70s and the 80s, the most popular television series of all time, MASH. And on that series is a clerk, and the clerk's name is Radar. Yeah. And Radar knew stuff. In fact, he knew stuff before it even happened. And everyone on the show turned to Radar. Radar was the most powerful person on the show. Radar was an expert. And you know what? So are project managers. And so when project managers understand how to build and use power, they will focus on their expert source of power. And people will come to rely on him or her as an expert. And one of these days, They'll begin relying on that project manager for things beyond the scope of the project. And that's when you've built your power level to the degree necessary for an executive to really start paying attention to you. So one of the most effective steps, project manager, if you want to get your executive to act for your project success, build and use your power. So interestingly enough, this week I was accused of writing from a point of project manager, assuming the project managers had more power than they did. And it was interesting for me to reflect on that because I'm like, no, this is the power you build. This is the power you utilize and wield. Certainly it wasn't given to us from day one. We had to earn it. We have to earn it. And my comment is you're either earning it or you're losing it. There's no steady state. Uh, it's amazing. So one of the questions the audience always knows that I'm going to ask, um, but friends of ours, of yours and mine over the last eight years, they know I'm going to ask this specific question. Since you worked in the CIA, can you tell us who killed Kennedy, man? Come on. Rick, I'm happy you've asked me that uh, because uh, there's never been an occasion when we've talked when you have not asked me that. <laughs> and, uh, 
So, so I wanted to tell you, I prepared this time to be asked that question. I'm going to turn around just for a moment. I don't know if your audience can, can see this. I'll hold it up. Uh, but it turns out, Rick, there are more conspiracy theorists out there than you can shake a stick at. And uh, according to this article, Kennedy was slain by the CIA, the Mafia, Castro, LBJ, Teamsters, Freemasons. That poor man was shot 129 times from 43 different angles. How bad is that? I finally have an answer. I can't wait to go tell everybody who's been asking me to ask you. So we're, we're very happy with that. But seriously, what's some of the greatest advice you've ever received? Yeah. So uh, the advice I've received actually pertains to this subject, right? This subject was a, a, a how-to subject. I talked to your audience about how they can get their executives to act for project success. Well, the advice is to recognize that in order to succeed with this how-to subject, a little willpower goes a long way. These steps and actions, these are not overnight successes. So, so the advice is to recognize that uh, you need to draw on a little bit of your willpower to stick to this for a period of time. It's not a short-term win, it's a long-term success. Yeah, one of the quotes I, sh I share is, my quote is, uh, everybody has the want to succeed, but do they have the will? Yeah, project management's about applying common sense with uncommon discipline, and that's the willpower we're talking about here. Absolutely. So, Michael, how do people get in touch with you? How do they find you? Yeah, the easiest way is through my website, uh, zozierinc.com, Z-O-Z-E-R-I-N-C.com. I'm also a big user of LinkedIn. It would please me to no end to get a whole lot of LinkedIn communications and a whole lot of LinkedIn requests for connection. Uh, I, I throw that out to your audience and would really enjoy hearing from them in that, in that venue. Absolutely. And uh, <laughs> I had a good joke there, but I was going to let that one fly. We'll, we'll let sure? that one slide. You, be... used, you used it once. No, no, no. I had another one, but it was good. Um, <laughs> in, in, in any case, um, the, the last article I read that, that, that gave me pause this week was about how uh, Alexa is truly listening. So do you scan personally for your name uh, through all the databases you have access to to find out how many times you've been mentioned in someone's house? Well, in terms of being mentioned at people's houses, I'm used to people talking about me, Rick. I don't have to look for it. <laughs> this stick's never going to get old with me. It's probably been old for seven years with you, but I've enjoyed it. Listen, you've been a great friend. And uh, in, in, uh, in fact, we're appearing together in Richmond, correct? Is, is it Richmond that we're going to be in? I believe we are. We've appeared on many stages together. and We enjoy spending time together. Uh, your level and my level of humor are equally sophomoric, and so we have a good time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You throw Stenbeck in there, and it's it's just a party. But, um, yeah, looking forward to, to seeing you in Richmond. Uh, do you have other speaking engagements that, that are coming up? Yeah, I'm going to do a, a speaking engagement for the PMI Washington, D.C. chapter in January. That's a, a big chapter. I think it's the largest in the world. And uh, I've got a couple others uh, which I'll stick on my website if people want to follow me uh, and perhaps show up at some of those engagements. Perfect. Any final thoughts to the audience? 
Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you, this subject about uh, getting executives to act for project success, I, I've couched it as a project management subject, but, but I've learned, uh, because I've talked to so many broader audiences, I've learned it also is resonating with a lot of non-project managers. So good for you. Uh, the behavior stuff I talk about in the book appears to apply more broadly. Good for you for picking up on that, audiences. Excellent. Absolutely. And, and I mean, again, leadership, development. I, I want to say that the, the biggest arc in my career was when I started to focus on what didn't I do well, recognizing all of the faults, and there's many, we, we know, uh, but all the faults, and then really starting a personal development journey um, beyond the technical skills of project management. Yeah, thank goodness you recognize that. And I suspect uh, many, if not most, in your audience are doing that because why else would they have tuned in? Absolutely. So again, Michael, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we look forward to having you again. This is your second or third time on the show already. Yeah, I, Rick, you're, you're a fun interviewer. You do your homework and you draw out uh, the best or at least uh, some of the best of what I could offer. I certainly appreciate it. So next week, uh, we're going to have Melissa Agnes on, and Melissa talks about being crisis ready. So as we were talking about risks and we're talking about all that stuff this week from a project management perspective, Melissa is going to be discussing with us, you know, what happens when your brand goes in crisis and, and is your, your brand itself crisis ready? And she, she actually talks about a story about This Is Us, the, the radio or the television show, when it killed a beloved character because a crockpot caught on fire and then that like the backlash to the crackpot organization because because this mythical you know person died um they had this huge crisis on their hands to talk about how that was impossible and that was just a storyline but everybody started going wow maybe maybe my crackpot can catch on fire maybe it's gonna do that it's so be crisis ready and, and she has a great uh uh speech about that. So we're going to be interviewing Melissa coming up and we've got fantastic guests all the way through June. In fact, we just booked uh, uh, James Harrington who runs the Ugandan water project. So he is uh, in charge, has a company that brings clean water to Uganda and he's a phenomenal person. So uh, we're going to have him on the show uh, in June as well. Uh, So keep uh, watching with us. Another uh, quick fact, uh, Part of the John Maxwell team is having leadership awards, and, and we've paired 800 people down to 30 people, and then obviously somebody's going to win in August. But one of those 30 people is Todd Neslany, that, that we actually are the ones that, that nominated him. And you guys have heard Todd Neslany on the show a couple of times, an incredible educator doing fantastic work. Uh, so we just wanted to say a quick congratulations to Todd and, you know, we're rooting for you in that top 30. So that's all we've got time for, for this week of the work-life balance. We're going to be talking to you guys again next week, same time, same channel, everything, right? Facebook live, zoom podcast, and of course the voice America business network. So thank you so much. We'll talk to you next Friday. Thank you for joining us this week. The Work-Life Balance with Rick Morris can be heard live every Friday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Now that the weekend is here, it's time to rethink your priorities and enjoy it. We'll see you on our next show.